marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. My favorite movies. It goes on. I've always wanted to start a wedding that way. But I've never had the guts, so this will have to suffice, I guess, this morning. There's a little ditty that says, A wedding is the place to start, but marriage is a kind of art. Isn't that true? A wedding really isn't that difficult to pull off. I mean, there's expense and there's stress and anxiety depending upon the bride and the bride's mother and whoever else is involved. But, but a wedding really isn't that hard to pull off. A marriage, though... A relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, that's much more challenging. It's much more challenging, but it's also much more rewarding. Today we're beginning a sermon series, a three-week series on marriage, entitled Marriage Matters. And marriage does indeed matter, regardless of what people may tell you. Statistics show that those who are married live longer and are happier. Marriage matters to children. Surveys show that children who grow up in a home where the parents are married, are far more likely to do well in school, to avoid teen pregnancy, to stay out of trouble, to graduate from college, to live as productive adults. And marriage matters most because marriage matters to to God. In fact, in the passage that Pat just read just a second ago out of Genesis chapter 2, we see where God plays the original matchmaker and gives Adam and Eve to each other, and the first, first marriage occurs. Now, I've been a minister for well over 20 years now, and I've done many weddings. I've lost track, 100, 200, I don't know how many. It's been a lot. And um, I've enjoyed them all. It's always a a privilege and it's special to stand in front of a a man and a woman who are getting together in marriage, and they're excited, and they exchange vows, and they exchange rings, and you see the family out there, and they're excited too, and uh, usually excited. And um, you see this happening, and it's a real privilege to be a part of it. Um, but outside of my own wedding, the, probably the most special wedding I've been a part of was when I got to officiate at my sister's wedding. Uh, it'll be eight years this, this summer. Great day. Wonderful day. Uh, and I'd been looking forward to it sometimes. She was 43 when she got married. We were wondering if this was, was going to happen or not. And, and they, she and Gary, he finally popped the question. And I was happy for her. I was thrilled for him. And I was also a little bit happy for myself. It was a special opportunity. I mean, how often do you get to give advice to your sister and she has to stand there and listen, you know? So that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. And I took the opportunity to really bond with Gary as well, you know, by making the profound statements that only a pastor can make at weddings. You know, things like, make her happy or I will hurt you. Things like that. But it was really, it was really special. I was standing in front of them and about to pronounce them as, as husband and wife. And I have to admit, I was a little bit overcome with emotion. I mean, she's my little sister. We're only 14 months apart, but we're close. And it was just a little too much. Seeing their faces reflecting the love they had for each other, uh, knowing the journey that they had been on in their relationship, knowing the dreams that they had together, I got a little bit teary-eyed as I thought. They have no idea what they're getting into. Now, now all joking aside, the truth of the matter is that as wonderful as marriage is, and as, as great of a blessing it can be, it can be hard work. It, 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 it's, it's, it's more of a challenge than we often think when we get into it. Uh, but for some reason today, there seem to be a lot of people in our world 
who seem to think that marriage shouldn't be so hard, that it shouldn't be so difficult, that if it is hard or is difficult, then it must not be right, that it should be smooth sailing the vast majority of the time. You know, the odd thing is that we don't have the same standard of expectation for other areas of our lives, do we? If you're asked if one of the keys to success at a job is hard work, you'll say, well, of course it is. Or if somebody asks you if it takes hard work to be a great athlete or musician or student, you'd say, well, well, yeah, sure. We know that to be successful in just about any venture in life, it takes hard work, perseverance. But for some reason, many think that marriage is the exception. If you're in love, they, we might think, it really shouldn't be hard. It should be easy. Now, I want to make clear, very clear from the outset here. I'm not here this morning to pile on guilt about previous failed marriages. I know many of you have been through the awful pain of divorce, and I'm sorry for that. I have compassion for you. I don't know the circumstances. I'm not here to judge. And there are certainly some instances where biblically a case can be made for divorce. Maybe your divorce met those criteria. Maybe it didn't. Regardless, I do want you to know and remember this. God is a God of amazing love and grace who delights in giving mercy. And he will not hold your past against you if you come to him humbly and ask for his grace and forgiveness. And any mistakes or sins in our lives and in our past relationships do not need to thwart future happiness. So with that in mind, I want to focus on the present and the future where marriage is concerned. And my hope is that this will be helpful to those who are married, those who will be married, and those who aren't married and they'll like to be married. That will be helpful for all of us because all of us have friends or family who perhaps are struggling in a marriage. So this morning I'm going to ask you, if you, haven't, if you are not still there, to turn again to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Very easy to find. It's in the first two or three pages of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2. And, and the reason we're going to start here is because it's always important to start at the beginning and see what the original purpose of something is, in this case, marriage. Because I think if we, if we kind of get a glimpse of understanding of what God's purpose and intent is for marriage, that when we bump into the inevitable struggles that we have in our relationships, it'll be, it'll be helpful. And we'll see things in a different light. Now, there are a couple of things we can draw out. First, we see that God created Adam... So, excuse me, God created Eve so that Adam would have a companion, right? It says it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates, creates Eve. And, you know, God could have, he could have created Adam in such a way that he could reproduce himself sort of like a cell divides, but he didn't. And the scripture in, in chapter 1 says that he created male and female, both in his image. He made them complementary so as to fit together emotionally and physically and mentally and spiritually. And so we see that God's intent was for a man and woman to be in this institution we call marriage. I think there's significance in the fact that Eve was created from Adam's rib. Matthew Henry, a commentator, put it this way. He says, woman was not taken from man's feet as if she were beneath him or from his head as if she were over him, but from his side as an equal with him. Marriage is to be a relationship of, of equals, both created in God's image, male and female, a relationship based upon a deep friendship and love and mutual respect and mutual submission. So we see that unity or oneness is God's intent for marriage. Verse 24. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Of all the relationships in Scripture, marriage is the only one where the phrase, the two become one, is, is used. And I don't think that God is being metaphorical here. I don't think he's talking about two people under the same roof. It's more than that. The word used for becoming one in the Hebrew means being grafted together, grafted into each other, sort of like Siamese twins, who, who the only way to separate them is by tearing apart something that is literally joined at the hip. And that's why divorce hurts so much. It's not just a change in marital status. Once the two become one, they're not intended to become one again, or two again. So God's intent is oneness and unity, which reflects his image, the three in one, one in three. Now, as we know, there are many threats to oneness in marriage. There's jealousy and lack of forgiveness, uh, office romances, meddling families, challenges of parenting, financial pressures, sexual problems, neglect, busyness, pornography, on and on. There are too many to name. And marriages are under constant threat and pressure, under spiritual attack. In fact, Satan would look like nothing more than to see marriages fail. We, we see in chapter 2, we just read that, that a man and woman should be united in marriage and the two become one. But in chapter 3, there's a well-known story of the fall. When Satan strikes at that oneness, he causes them to sin, and the result has been great pain for generations. Satan is the father of lies, and he's used this particular lie that, that if marriage is hard, if it's a struggle at times, if you hurt each other, that maybe you're not right for each other. You know, just as a wily or smart or shrewd general strikes his enemy at the place where the most damage is done to the most people, so does Satan. When a marriage fails, it doesn't affect just the two spouses. The shrapnel from a divorce flies out and hits children and grandchildren and siblings and in-laws and friends, and the wounds inflicted can fester for, for years. So is it any wonder that marriage can be a struggle at times? this oneness and this unity. We also see that marriage is intended to be one of great transparency and safety. Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, I don't think this is referring only to physical nakedness. I think it also is describing the emotional transparency that Adam and Eve had before the fall and that God intends for all marriages. We see in chapter two, they hide nothing from each other and the result is they feel no shame. What happens in the next chapter? After they sin, God comes looking for them and they hide. They feel shame. And not only do they hide from God, they hide from each other. They realize they're naked. They're exposed, not just physically, but emotionally, and they cover up. And we as human beings have been covering up ever since. Now, can we ever get completely back to Eden? I don't think so, not in this life. But God's design and call remain. Marriage is to be the safest relationship that we have a place where we can bear ourselves, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And so that means when our, our husband or our wife makes himself vulnerable to us, that we don't reject them, that we don't shame them, that we don't push them away. That's hard to do. But we must, in marriage, seek to love and, to, and create an environment of trust that the other person feels loved enough and accepted enough that they can risk being vulnerable, knowing that you will not reject them, that you'll be in there with them. 
And so throw on top of all this the inevitable friction that's going to come from placing a man and a woman from different backgrounds, different personalities, into this closest of relationships that involves us emotionally, physically, mentally, financially, spiritually. We should not be surprised that sometimes marriage can be hard. But just because it can be hard does not mean that it can't be extremely good and be a tremendous blessing. And that brings us to the third purpose of, for marriage, and I'm going to draw out this passage, which I think ultimately is, is the biggest and primary reason that he brings people together in relationships, especially in marriage. And the primary reason that God brings us together is this, to bring glory to himself. And the way that we bring glory to God is simply this. We increasingly become more and more like Jesus Christ. We begin to think and act and, and have values and priorities more and more like Jesus Christ. That's his design, isn't it, for us as human beings, is to become more like Jesus. Right? And that happens through God's Spirit. It happens through time in his word. It happens through worship and service. But it all happens in the context of relationships. I mean, I didn't know how selfish I was until I got married. I didn't know how impatient I could be at times until I got married. I didn't really know how to sacrifice for somebody else until I got married. I mean, how else do we learn to to listen or to control our desire to control or to let go of our anger? How else do we learn to love and forgive except in a relationship of closeness and intimacy? God places people in marriage for friendship, yes, for procreation, yes, for the good of children, certainly, absolutely. But ultimately, for spiritual formation, to help us grow in Christ-likeness and to point other people to his love and redemption. And so this should change our perspective when struggles happen and differences and conflicts come up. We can see them really as, as things that God has allowed in our lives to help us grow closer to each other and grow closer to God, become more like Jesus, and to bring glory to God the Father. Many of you, I'm sure, have had the experience of going to Colorado and you go into these little tourist shops, you know, and they have these wooden boxes and they have lots of kind of polished, shiny, pretty stones in them. You know what I'm talking about? You can get to pick up a few and bring them back and kind of kind of a memento or souvenir from from your time there. And the rocks do not come out of the mines looking like that. And they they're not pulled out of off the side of a mountain looking like that. Uh, what happens is they take them and they place them in a special machine in tight quarters and, and, and they're rubbed up against each other really hard and fast for a long time. And, and, and it creates heat and it creates friction. But the result is that what? The rough edges are smoothed out, becomes more polished, more beautiful, more valuable, stronger. It's the same in marriage. God takes two people from, from different backgrounds and different experiences, different personalities, different preferences, and he places, places them together in the closest of relationships, a, a husband and a wife. And naturally, there's going to be some heat. There's going to be some friction. They're going to bump into each other over time. They're going to sometimes wound each other. But if they lean into each other and they lean into God and don't pull apart, the result is what? They become more polished become more beautiful, become more like Christ, more useful to God, more, more precious to him, stronger, more Christ-like. And so if there are times when you wonder, who in the world did I marry? 
Remember this, God has placed your wife in your life to help you become more like Jesus. And if there are times when you wonder, is he always going to be this way? Is he never going to change? Remember, God has placed your husband in your life to help you become more like Jesus. And so when the little things that can sometimes cause friction in a relationship surface, do not pull back for long and don't remain irritated too long. Lean into each other and ask, what is God trying to teach me? Not what in the world is wrong with him or her? And if we approach our differences this way, instead of viewing them as a conflict to be won or avoided over time, God will do his work and our rough edges will be smoothed and will be polished into the beautiful likeness of Jesus. You see, God is interested in our character, in who we are becoming, and it's in committed relationships that we learn the most and grow the most and are shaped with the end result, hopefully, that we will honor and serve and glorify God. There was a study a few years back um, uh, about Christian marriage. It actually came from an Ivy League institution. Uh, you're probably aware that the rate of divorce isn't much different in the church than it is in society at large. It's better, but not drastically better. And it might make you wonder, what's the point? Does faith in Christ really make a difference? Well, the research was dug a little bit deeper. And it discovered three things that if couples did them, the divorce rate now was one out of 1,012, practically divorce-proof. The three things, daily Bible reading together, daily prayer together, weekly worship together. That's it. Daily Bible reading, daily prayer, weekly worship. And the reasons why these make such a difference, think about it. It's through God's word, as we read it and apply it and understand it, we get his truth and perspective about ourselves, about God. We learn how to treat each other and forgive each other, learn how to love each other, learn what's important in, in God's kingdom. You know, and through prayer, we, we come together and we make ourselves vulnerable and we get on our knees and we pray together and we offer ourselves to God and we ask for his help. God will surely answer that prayer. And when we worship together, we have a common experience. We're fed spiritually. We're in community with, with other people who aren't perfect, but who are seeking God for support and encouragement. And we serve together. And all three lead to individual growth in Christ-likeness, but they also lead to growth in our marriage. You know, Nancy and I will have been married 25 years this coming May. Hard to believe it's been that long. And while our marriage has been a source of great joy, wonderful experiences, wonderful memories, a lot of highlights. There have been some bumps, too. I remember our first year in particular was challenging. We got married in May, and three months later, we picked up and moved to Chicago to go to seminary. It was in the city, a very busy place, lots of noise. You know, we were in an apartment with cockroaches, and the air conditioning was sketchy at best. I was taking a full load of graduate classes and working two part-time jobs, and she was working full-time and taking MBA classes on the weekend. We were starting over. We didn't know anybody. We left our jobs and our friends behind, and everything was new. And is it any wonder that we argued more in that year than we have in any of the following 24, maybe even combined? But God has used Nancy in my life in a very powerful way. I always say I married up, that I outpunted my, my coverage, and I mean that. I mean, she's taught me so much. She's helped me to grow. She's accepted me and loved me and challenged me and partnered with me and forgiven me. And I hope she can say I've done the same for her. And I do, do believe that through our marriage that we have hopefully helped each other grow spiritually more like Jesus Christ. Long ways to go, but we're getting there. And if we had pulled back and avoided or maybe even gone our separate ways when the going was tough, we would have missed out 
on tremendous opportunities and on tremendous blessings. So don't believe the lie. If it takes work, it doesn't mean you're not right for each other. It's simply something called marriage. But it's also rewarding. And with God's help, you can look back on the struggles and thank God for them because as you let him, he will be at work in you to make you like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And I pray to Lord, I pray Lord today for um, the people in our church who are married. I pray for your blessing upon them. Help them to grow in Christ-likeness. Help them to lean into each other, to experience the oneness and unity that you intend for them. I pray that their marriages will be a place of, of safety and transparency and acceptance, uh, of support and encouragement. I pray, Lord, as well for those who are not married. I pray for them, Father, that um, you would use the relationships in their lives to help them to grow spiritually as well in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And may they be a resource and help and support to their friends and family who perhaps need that in their marriages. I thank you, Lord, for your truth. I thank you for your love and acceptance. I thank you that we are created for relationships with you, but also for, with each other. And so we offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name, asking for your grace, your mercy, your blessing, your direction. In Jesus' name, amen.